0: Welcome back to the Digital Health Today 360 podcast. I'm Dan Kendall. Today, I have a special treat for you. Now, last month, Eugene Borahovich had a coffee talk with Jenny Main and Dr. Suzanne Clough from Amalgam Rx. It was featured on the show, the Digital Therapeutics Podcast, which, as you know, is part of Digital Health Today. They did a deep dive into the challenges surrounding the implementation of digital therapeutic solutions and specifically around the challenges within health systems and some of the obstacles and challenges that face HCPs. Now, what we didn't know at the time that we recorded that episode is that Amalgam was on the cusp of a big announcement. And just this week, November 19th, 2022, Amalgam announced the expansion of its global agreement with Novo Nordisk. Now, this agreement is specifically around an app called DoseCheck. It's an app that's been developed to help people with type 2 diabetes who are using basal insulin. Diabetes is a condition that's very near and dear to my heart. I have close family members that are affected by both type 1 and type 2, so I'm always interested in finding out what more is being done to create better solutions for people living with diabetes? Now, next up, you'll hear the coffee talk that Eugene did with RX, and I wanted to give you this additional background to really understand how RX is really walking the walk when it comes to improving care for people and the workflow for healthcare professionals. Now, be sure to check out all of Eugene's episodes on the Digital Therapeutics podcast and stay tuned for more announcements as we get set for a fantastic 2023.
1: Now, over to Eugene. Welcome to the Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borovitch. As you know, on the DTX Podcast, we bring you conversations by the leaders and innovators who are working to develop and apply evidence-based clinically validated software to treat, manage, or cure diseases. This special episode is a Coffee Talk. Coffee Talks are opportunities to bring you conversations with the people that make all our work here possible and this coffee talk is made possible by our presenting partner amalgam rx you've probably have already heard about amalgam they help patients and providers make the best decisions possible in the provider workflow and in patients everyday lives through a suite of ehr solutions and a modular samd platform amalgam enables the leading life sciences companies health plans and provider organizations to collaboratively deliver better care today Amalgam's algorithms and applications support nearly 10 million patients across four continents and have helped providers make over 50 million decisions. In this coffee talk, we dive into the challenges being faced by health systems as they work to assess, develop, and implement solutions at the time of a clinical decision. We'll explore the major pain points that keep projects from reaching their full potential, what it takes to overcome these challenges, and what you can do when you're developing a digital therapeutic solution for your organization. There's also some tips that apply to payers and pharma, as they also play a key role in the successful development and implementation of digital therapies. To learn more about these topics, I invited two executives from Amalgam to share their insights. In this conversation, I spoke with Jenny Main, CFO and COO at Amalgam. She spent some time at Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services before joining. I also invited Dr. Suzanne Clough, the Chief Medical Officer of Amalgam. Dr. Clough is an endocrinologist by training and stopped practicing to get involved in the world of digital health way back in the early 2000s. So grab a cup of coffee and let's jump over to the conversation. Suzanne and Jenny, welcome to the DTX podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us
1: absolutely a pleasure and before we kick into high gear here i still remember on season one chris bergstrom president of amalgam rx saying that the future of dtx may not be dtx at all and so i'd love to actually break this down a bit for our listeners especially when it comes to the health system so one health systems and providers have shrinking budgets especially through the pandemic Two, growing salaries. Just as an example, cost of nurses have almost tripled in just the last two and two and a half years. And then three, just dozens and dozens of point solutions and tools that health systems and hospitals have to deal with, with alert fatigue for their providers. And the eight minutes that they have with their patient is just not enough. So I would love to hear from you on these big challenges and potentially how these health systems are actually looking at it and how they are deploying and adopting these digital solutions and digital therapies.
3: You hit some very key points there. We talked to the chief technology officers, the chief information officers, the head of quality, the CMOs, and it all comes down to a key couple of things. One, this has got to work with my provider's flow, right? It has to work with my provider's workflow. People don't want to go to another system. And even with EMRs today, a lot of providers hate them. They're getting this alert fatigue. So if we're coming in as a vendor, we cannot say something like, oh, look, we're going to have 6,000 more alerts go off. And that's absolutely what we don't want to do. What we're bringing for pain points is hospitals need to make more money. So how can we through a seamless integration into the EHR, through the seamless integration into a healthcare provider's workflow, how can Amalgam help that top line and bottom line revenue for healthcare systems? And what we're seeing is with all these value-based care contracts right now, it's really a great opportunity to bring health systems and payers together. So payers are going, look, we're going to pay you more if you do X, Y and Z, if you prescribe a little differently, maybe a less expensive formulation. If you're keeping up with your quality metrics, and these two organizations, entities, will come together and negotiate the contracts. But then when the provider's there and delivering care, you know, again, eight minutes, things are moving fast. Some of this stuff is not at the top of mind. So imagine if we can come in and as soon as that physician or that diabetes educator or nurse practitioner or whatever healthcare provider prescribes an action that may not be the best clinically or it may be too costly We can work with the health system to say, what do you want to do about that? You own this. Again, content is really important. So we can say to them, health system, what do you want your providers to be called out on? And how do you want to say it? And so that way we're not shoving the payer's agenda onto them. We're not shoving our agenda onto them. And we work really closely with the health system's so that they know if they integrate this clinical decision support, that ultimately what it's doing is gonna drive better clinical outcomes and it's going to drive better financial outcomes.
1: Jenny, Suzanne, you've been lots of conversations with different health systems, the challenges abound. Can you talk about examples, named or unnamed, which is understandable, of systems that are successful in spite of all the obstacles that are out there? What are they doing well? what can others learn from them?
3: This one will be unnamed, but this one is so exciting for us because we do believe they're doing so much right. And I think it's going to help the entire digital health industry. So unnamed health system, the first thing that they do internally is that they have a great internal cross-functional team from the business side, the CMO side, the CIO, and then healthcare representatives. So. Healthcare providers don't feel like things are getting shoved down their throat. So there's a lot of cross-collaboration teamwork internally, which is really nice for us because they come then very clear what their business, clinical, and financial objectives are. The second is they're very business savvy. They get it. You know, look, we're in all these value-based contracts. Why not come to the table with the payers and get really clear about how we can hit our marks and how we can improve our revenue. And let's talk to them at the table. What are the biggest pain points you're finding? And then the three of us being Amalgam, the payer and the health system, then actually sit down and decide, here are the different rules that'll be implemented and the inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, et cetera. So I think that they're doing just a very nice job of saying, let's just roll up our sleeves and work with the payer to get things done.
1: Great point. Cross-functional team is absolutely needed. Collaboration across the whole system is absolutely needed. Defining key objectives, both business and clinical, is needed. And it's great that it's happening in this health system. Are there other things that stand out for this particular health system that's actually setting it up for success?
3: I think the other thing that's really awesome is their understanding the revenue potentials from participating in clinical trials. So they'll say, all right, Amalgam, you're integrated into our EMR, you're looking at patient data, to be able to trigger these rules, why not use that same system and go ahead and help us identify, we'll give you the inclusion exclusion criteria, patients who may be eligible for clinical trials. So it's speeding up clinical trial recruitment, which is money for them, but it's also great for let's say pharma companies because they can make this happen much faster. They are opening their minds to, how do we work different with pharma? Pharma's had a bad rep within health systems, especially in academic systems. They don't want people detailing. They don't want the reps coming. But I think this health system in particular is seeing we could actually do some really good things for our patients by thinking a little more broadly. So what I'm seeing now is more pharma companies investing in, let's say, AI-based algorithms to start looking for patients who should be screened for let's say, very bad disease or rare disease or who maybe it's time for their colorectal screening. And bringing those two pieces of the healthcare system to the table, this healthcare system's going, yeah, this is amazing. Like we're just reaping the benefit because the payer's paying for their part of it, pharma's paying for their part of it. And they're also, again, not having anything shoved down their throat. They're very clear about what they will allow, won't allow. We have all the regulatory guardrails in So for me, it's just really exciting because digital health has been so siloed. We've had these individual companies for so long or the payers are doing one thing, health systems are doing another. And I'm like, come on, rising tides lift all boats, let's work better together. What I see this healthcare system doing is they're just incredibly savvy and innovative. And I think they're gonna change the way care is delivered. They're changing the way care is delivered. And so for us here, like working on the front lines, there's nothing better then seeing our work at Amalgam be translated into cost savings, increased revenue and better clinical outcomes. Like, boom, Like, what more could you ask for?
1: It sounds really rewarding. And back to the cross-functional teams and that collaboration, the clear objectives, the revenue potential. Pretend I'm a skeptic. It just sounds like so much work. Jenny, what would you say on that one?
2: One of the things that I've heard this particular client of ours say is that their goal is to take everything that doesn't have to be done by a provider to take that off their plate. So the eight minutes that we've been referring to can be used optimally for that patient provider care time and things that could be done using sort of a population health approach, for example, like screenings that are due, colorectal screenings and other types pulling data and doing it at a population level that can get the same result that the health system is interested in, but with less intervention needed and required by folks who can spend their time on higher use and engagement and interaction with patients. I was just going to add that in addition to, or maybe in contrast to the example we just gave of a client that we're working with that's doing all these things, one of the things we feel really good about is we can really meet a provider anywhere they are. If they want one thing and one or two things and wherever they are on the range, that's terrific. And what we found with this particular provider that we've been describing, they started with one or two and have had success and were excited about it and then have built a relationship from there. And so we feel it's terrific to be able to say, hey, you want this, but you're not interested in that. That's great. It's a platform format that allows you to start anywhere and we can meet them where they are. That's been exciting.
1: It's amazing to hear all of the components that you're helping the health system solve for. And ultimately, again, it's for that patient. It's either getting at the CDS level or the point of care level, getting the right digital tool, getting the right match to a potential trial to potentially even save the life. So thank you for that. Health systems, obviously, or let's hope they don't work in a silo. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you're hearing from the health plans? And again, how are you guys, I think I've already heard some examples of it, but maybe let's tailor that towards the
2: health plan. I think the thing here is payers, like almost everyone else, it seems they have a ton going on. They have a lot of things that they're trying to do. It's a busy environment. And so they're trying to figure out how to develop good partnerships with the providers. And they obviously have a lot of history and different dynamics that they have. And I think what we've found is that we can be a nice bridge. And some of the technology allows a much less friction-laden engagement where some of the things that payers may want providers to do can be you know, integrated in a way that it's not that payers are opposed to using a particular formulary or other things that are medically reasonable. It's just that they have a ton going on and don't always know, for example, the insurance status of a particular patient at any given eight minute moment. So being able to, I think of them a little bit of this concept of a nudge, right? That having really relevant information show up right when you need it helps you make a decision that could be a little bit or a lot better, but every little bit helps, as we know. And so getting any given particular thing, whether it's a formulary change, whether it's addressing a quality measure or something, a preventative care action that really would be good to get done. Suzanne?
3: Yeah, I just think since forever, because we haven't had these point of care solutions that can help healthcare providers execute on what needs to be executed in these value-based care contracts, it's almost set up an adversarial relationship between healthcare providers, payers, and patients. So think about it. If I'm a provider, I don't want to think about what health insurance you have or what subtype of health insurance you have. And so in the traditional EMR workflow, if I just prescribe Jenny statin X because that's what I usually do, and then later they get a note, the patient saying, nope, not going to pay for it, or you get dinged as the healthcare provider later for prescribing it, it's super frustrating. And I think by us bringing these parties to the table and say, look, we have the opportunity to seamlessly and easily put this logic at the point of care, people are getting along better. And I know that sounds a little bit cheesy, but like doctors especially are so unhappy with the profession and the EMR in general is a big, big contributor to that. These value-based care contracts that they can't have real-time insight into all day for every patient, it's maddening, you know? And so as a physician, I'm also hoping, and I'm seeing that this is going to maybe release some stress from physicians and let them focus more on what they spent a lot of money and time doing, training to provide care versus thinking of formulary decisions.
1: I think, you know, just a quick comment for our listeners. I mean, many of these nudges can actually save a life a lot of these preventative measures that can translate into extended lives. I want to just echo that.
2: We actually talk about that a lot as a company, within our company, about how terrific it feels that real health improvements are happening because doctors, providers, different parts of the healthcare sector are making different choices based on the little piece of alert that can really, as you said, save a life and often to just improve quality of care. I think the other thing to talk about these nudges is that Amalgam's team,
3: the data science team, the clinical team, and working in partnership with the healthcare system, we spend a lot of time not just looking at, oh, this should fire, this rule should fire. It's also, why should this rule not fire? So putting the exclusion criteria because alert fatigue is real. And we also spend a lot of time going, hey, if a really important clinical decision support rule is being ignored, there's not action being taken, why? That we need to look into that. Is it the wording? Are we being annoying? Let's get in there and to talk to folks. So we spend, you know, an enormous amount of time and energy into making sure we're being thoughtful about the logic that would trigger anything to a healthcare provider that then we don't want alert fatigue. We don't want to contribute to it, basically.
1: Absolutely, and again, saving time and therefore saving lives, right? Because I think if the physicians can ultimately spend more quality time during that eight minute. Earlier, both of you mentioned again, clinical trials at the office, at a health system level, identifying potential patients for clinical trials. Can we switch gears on that third player and the ecosystem a little bit? And again, the challenges, I think many of our listeners have heard, especially as interfacing with digital therapies. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the challenges of a life sciences pharma company and how that's applicable and how you guys work with them.
3: I think this is probably... One of the most exciting times for pharma within digital therapeutic space, because I think historically it's been, you know, the story we've told around the pill, beyond the pill, which is important, but there's this whole other story, this whole other line to patients, again, through the EMR and partnerships with large health systems. So clinical trials, the cost of them is killing pharma. If they could reduce the time it takes to recruit patients to get through the trial we're talking exponential cost savings. So being able to go into a large health system and just run in the back end inclusion exclusion criteria, we can generate a whole list. We can have the list and have it pop up at the encounter. There's just multiple ways, but there's a volume of data out there that we can, with the click of a button, run these rules and help with recruitment some really fun projects we've been working on as i mentioned earlier are these ai based tools that pharma's coming up with that have been testing they're publishing now in peer-reviewed journals but anything from you know who should be screened for afib that just usually in something in clinical practice you just show up with atrial fibrillation right and when i saw this algorithm and how great it is and the devastation of having your first stroke because you are in atrial fibrillation. But now think about it, pharma is investing money in these algorithms that they didn't have a place to deploy them. And now they can. So they can come through the amalgam system, we can run them through these EMRs, and we're gonna potentially save a lot more lives. You know, That's not even a rare disease detection, but just for disease screening, who's appropriate for screening. So I think pharma and health systems is evolving, better clinical outcomes, cost savings, yeah, I see this relationship between the health systems and pharma having the ability to make a huge impact for patients, providers, and families. So it's exciting.
1: I always ask on this podcast, what advice would you give? And I think as we've been discussing this the front lines of that health and care are the health systems and ultimately the providers so maybe i'll ask both of you what advice would you give you know one two three top advice to a health system
3: my advice for health systems is take a look at what we just talked about with our model health system that there are opportunities for health systems through digital therapeutics that goes beyond apps and app stores I think when health systems hear digital therapeutics, it's a very kind of narrow vision of it. And imagine if health systems can really understand that the definition of the digital therapeutic landscape or digital health landscape really could be anything from apps all the way to this EMR integration for the distribution of apps, for patient identification, for clinical decision support. I think that health systems, you know, they have been burned by the digital and health industry for a while because we've been so fragmented. We all want to peddle our wares like we have this product, that product, and it's been super overwhelming. And I think a lot of them now are taking stock and inventory. And so my advice to health systems is to start really thinking about how to leverage what pharma is trying to do and what payers are trying to do. And in those partnerships, again, they're going to see revenue go up, they're going to see better clinical outcomes, and they're going to be in control. So I think that that's a really important message.
1: And as health systems go on this journey, what's the right time to start reaching out to you guys? Yes, ideally, everything is just turned up very quickly, but uh, I'm sure there is a path to this. So just again, for many of our listeners, especially the ones in the health systems, would love to hear And when is the right time to talk to Amalgam?
2: If you as a health system have a clear set of priorities and things you're trying to accomplish this year, you share that list with us and we will no question have a number of things that we can suggest that will help accelerate your path to achieve those things. So you can come to us with your game plan already kind of formed, or you can do the opposite and say, we're frustrated, we're in a process where we're just revamping our priorities. Tell us what others are doing and what you guys are seeing as the most effective and kind of low hanging fruit. And we can walk you through that. So you can come from either direction and we'll be able to find some stuff that you'll really find savings and opportunity and improve patient care through.
1: Thank you both for being a part of the DDX podcast and for sharing so much useful knowledge to all of our audiences.
2: It was really a pleasure.
3: Thank you, Gene.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the special Coffee Talk. We're fortunate to have Amalgam Rx as our presenting partner of this Digital Therapeutics podcast. And I hope you found this episode insightful. Your feedback and comments are always welcome and appreciated. Now stay tuned
2: for next week's episode.